Welcome to Practical Christian Living. We know that when it says that, that we are to have joy in the midst of trials, that we're not talking about some kind of giddy giggling, right? We're talking about a deep, profound joy in the midst of trials that can rob everything from you, and yet it is there. Joy during trials is not the same joy that we might feel during times of great news and celebration. Trials and the way we deal with them can bring us to an amazing deeper level in our relationship with Jesus. For reasons this world cannot understand, we have a peace in the midst of hard times, even tragedy. If you are going through a trial today, may you truly be able to understand how to count it all joy because of Jesus. Please stay with us as we continue further into the first chapter of the book of James. Here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Father, we want to thank you again for your word. It really is rich. And when we think that you have given us this as a gift inspired by you, from you to us as to how we can live. We thank you that you have, have done that supernaturally and preserved it for us. We also pray that we would have a heart of obedience as we study your word. We want to hear from you. We want to do what you've called us to do. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In the book of Job, it says, man is made for trouble as the sparks fly upward. You can picture a campfire and the sparks flying upward, or you can picture something on fire, maybe a home and the sparks flying upward. Man is made for trouble like the sparks flying upward. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Now, that's not generally a promise we put on our walls. I don't, I don't see that plaque a lot when I go to people's house who are Christians. I, I've got a lot of different scriptures up around my house in different places, but I do have that passage up on a wall because somebody at the church got obnoxious and gave it to me. I had said, you know, you never see it as a plaque. So somebody decided to give me, in this world you will have tribulation. So it's out in my garage hanging right above where my chop saw used to be. <laughs> I really didn't want I don't have the chop saw anymore, which is a good thing because I like having all of my fingers. But in this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus said that you are going to have persecution. And don't be surprised when the world hates you because they hated him. And it's really not you that they hate, but it's him that they hate. And then James tells us, don't be surprised when you encounter fiery trials. He didn't even say, don't be surprised when you encounter trials, but he had to throw in the word fiery there. It's not bad enough. It's trials. It's got to be fiery trials. So you might be here today and you say, I'm surprised that I'm going through a trial. And I say, well, the Bible told you not to be. And you say, well, it's a tough trial. Yeah, well, he said fiery trial. Are you going through a fiery trial? Yes, I am. Then don't be surprised. Why is it that, that not this question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's the question a lot of people ask. But I want to ask another one. Why do bad things happen to Christians? When we sign up to be a Christian, aren't we waving all the bad things? Aren't we saying, I'm done with that, God. I'm following you. And I don't think anything bad's going to happen to me anymore. Let them happen to, to non-Christians. But us Christians, let us only have good things happen to us. But the Bible never gives us those kind of promises. 
Instead, the Bible tells us that God uses difficulties. To Peter, Jesus said, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. But be of good cheer, because I've prayed for you. And when you've recovered, strengthen your brethren. When I've recovered, Lord, what do you mean? <laughs> if you prayed for me, then why do I need to recover? Why do I need, you know, he was sifted. Sometimes the enemy comes at us and God allows him. I don't know why. I wish I did, but God, I, I don't know why. And God allows him too. Sometimes we face difficulties and hardships and sicknesses and just because we're part of humanity. It's just what happens to us. Uh, we're growing older. And as we grow older, we seem to get sicker. Our bodies seem to be more fragile. It just happens. I, I wish it wasn't the case, but it is the case. I wish that if you committed your life to Christ, you didn't age. There were those group of people the, by the faith movement who had said, you know, that they'd gotten saved and didn't age. But hmm, their looks give them away. <laughs> Indeed, they do age, no matter what they try sometimes to look, look like they're not going to age. The enemy comes after us. There are things that just happen to us. And sometimes I think that God leads us in a way where there's difficulties and struggles and trials that come our way. God certainly could rescue us. God could rescue us from any of it. God does. He touches, he heals, he rescues. He's intervened in our lives and he saved us from difficulties. But other ones, he, he allows us to go through. And, and I want to share with you tonight, not really about my trial that I'm going through. I, I am in the midst of one and the vast majority of you guys know that. My wife went to be with the Lord. It's, it's a weird world. You live with someone for 30 years. You're their closest friend. You're with them. You know, it's like, seemed like we were together 24 hours. We were together every single, every single night. Well, we'd been in ministry. We, I, she was 23 and I was 25 when we started the church here. Had six people show up. <laughs> we, I, I had people say to me, you're just too young. I can't come here. <laughs> you're just too young. I like the, like the worship, but I can't come here. You're too young. Which I used to say, well, there's older preachers other places. You can go there. But people don't say that to me anymore. I wish they would. You know. <laughs> I, uh, and it's, it's, it's tough, but that's a trial I'm going through, and I want to endure through it. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the trial Lisa went through if you would allow me to do that. Um, because she had a joy in the midst of the worst scenario a person could hear. And how can you have joy, a deep joy, in the midst of, of, a, of a, an awful event? I still don't understand it. And, and, and I live through it. I, I'm careful with Lisa not to make her into someone that was perfect. You know how people do that when someone dies, all of a sudden they become a perfect individual. And we're careful to do that. And when, you know, one of my relatives here recently said, but Lisa was perfect. And I said, what Lisa did you know? <laughs> I lived with her. I'm not perfect and she wasn't perfect. Uh, in fact, if you'd have asked me a couple of years ago how I thought she would do if she got cancer and had a tough, painful end, how she would do, I, I would have said, not good. I would have said, I don't think she would do that, that good. Lisa was, I'm going to say fairly demanding. Lisa was a very demanding person. There's a lot of strengths in being demanding. Two days before she passed, she's bedridden and she hasn't eaten much. We're giving her some sleeping stuff to help her to, to sleep. Uh, you know, we're giving her pain medicine. And uh, she says to me, um, I, we were giving her um, some, some Xanax every night. It was a pretty good sized dose of Xanax every night. And so I said, hey, uh, baby, time for your Xanax. 
And she goes, nope. And she goes, I want, a, I want an In-N-Out burger. And I said, you're not going to be able to eat an In-N-Out burger. And she said, nope, I want an In-N-Out burger. And her sister came in. Her older sister was staying with us at the time. And she came in and she goes, I'll go get her a burger. And I go, fine, I'll go get her a burger. And I found myself driving to In-N-Out Burger, laughing, thinking, I'm still, she's still demanding things, an In-N-Out Burger at 11 o'clock at night, and I'm driving to In-N-Out Burger, but also with tears in my eyes because it's those strange little quirks that really, you know, that the fondness that you grow up with, with those kind of little things. And I brought the burger back, and she couldn't eat it. <laughs> she was already asleep, and I held it up. <laughs> Honey, get the burger for you. I drove all the way, drove back with it. But she did do good. I would have told you she wouldn't, but she did good. She didn't just do good. She did unbelievably good. She faced death with a joy that, again, I don't understand. A, a friend of mine said to me here recently, he got to talk to me finally after, and he was close. Years ago, we were really close, and we're still close. And I got to spend some time with him, and he said, how can we, how can we fight the devil for what he's done? And, and, and I said, it's not like that. If you were there, you would know that. I said, if it was, if it was spiritual warfare, I, did, I, I, would, I would say yes. I know spiritual warfare. I've been involved in it before. I, but this wasn't spiritual warfare. And if you were there, you would have known the peace, and you would have known the joy, and you would have known the resolve. You would have known if you were there. It wasn't the enemy stealing something from her. It was God doing what God was doing and her resolved to go through this. And before we read the passage and I share with you a little bit more about it, Lisa had everything to live for. She wanted to live. When she first found out that she had cancer, she went through the tears and the crying. She had asked God, why do you want to kill me? She had had those moments, just those tough, tough times. She loved, loves her granddaughter. There was a real connection between the two. She turned four on December 15th, the day that Lisa passed. Lisa died on Emma's birthday. Just a couple days before she had died, Emma had a party on Tuesday. Lisa died on Saturday. She had a party for her on Tuesday. Lisa had not wore makeup at this point for a couple weeks. But she got up and she went and she got all dolled up and fixed her hair. She came back and she had a FaceTime with Emma. She said, I wanted to come to your party, but I have a stomach ache. You ever have a stomach ache, Emma? And I have a stomach ache. I can't come, come and see you. And, and I'm sorry, but I love the party. And then she kissed the phone and Emma kissed the phone and it was hard. She, in the last, you know, she was really healthy up until three weeks before. In three weeks, we went into the hospital and the doctor told me, your wife's not going to be here long. And I said, months? I'm thinking nine, 10 months. And he goes, no, weeks, not months. And I said, did you tell her that? Because I, I mean, I, and he goes, no, I'll wait until you feel like you can, you can tell her that. But Evan, our grandson, was born on October, 20, on October 15th. She died on December 15th. And between that time, she was still mobile. When it turned, it turned quickly. And um, all she wanted to do for the last three weeks before, you know, she was kind of homeridden, was go and see the baby. That's it. What do you want to do tonight, baby? I want to go hold Evan. And so we would go buy yogurt, ice cream for my daughter, because my daughter loves yogurt ice cream. We'd go buy yogurt and show up. We have yogurt, you have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> the very last picture of Lisa that I have on my phone is of her holding Evan, just leaning back with a smile on her face, just holding that little baby. 
She had everything to live for. She fought to the very end. But there was a joy there that was, was beyond my understanding. And, and when I look at this verse as it talks about trials, he says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. When I, when I taught the very first pastor's conference that I ever taught, I, I taught this passage. And after talking to these other pastors about trials and difficulties, and I had a list of trials that pastors could go through. One of them was when sheep attack. That was the name of one of my points, which is an ugly thing, by the way, when you're a pastor and your sheep attack. It's hideous. Um, and, and, and afterwards, a guy came up to me and says, um, <clears throat> I just need to tell you, Robert, that you need to know that that word joy there doesn't mean happy. And I said, yeah, I know. I didn't think I needed to go into all the Greek details of the word, but I know it doesn't mean happy. It goes, it means joy. It means a real, yes, I understand that. It's not talking about teenage girls giggling in a back room. I know that. <laughs> and we understand that, right? We know that when it says that, that we are to have joy in the midst of trials, that we're not talking about some kind of giddy giggling, right? We're talking about a deep, profound joy in the midst of trials that can rob everything from you, and yet it is there. We're talking about from small trials to big trials, that there is a, there is a, a joy that goes well beyond understanding. When, uh, when Lisa came to the, to the last few days, and we, we knew that it was the last few days, she asked me two days before she died how long I thought, and I said a couple of days. We had... We had come to the place of a resolve. When, when, she first found, when we first found out that she had cancer, we believed God was going to heal her. And we believed that God did heal her. We came down and we had the elders who are pastors and elders at the church anoint her with oil and pray for her. Paul was one of them that prayed for her. And afterwards, Lisa said, I, I think I, I, I had a vision while you guys were, while they were praying. And I believe God's gonna heal me. We believe that. We, we believed it. When, when the spot went away, remember? It was all gone. We rejoiced that God had, had touched her and, and healed her, and, and, then it, and then it came back. And it, when it came back, it, it came back really fast. But as she came to those last few days, there was, there was a joy and, and a, a resolve. When we were in the hospital three weeks before, and Skip was here teaching, Remember early December? It was only a couple weeks before, actually. Skip came and he taught, what was it? Stay calm and marry on, keep married, something, something along those lines. And then Skip went to the hospital to see Lisa. Lisa had some questions. And so she asked Skip, you know, where, where are we gonna go? What, 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 not where are we gonna go when we die, but what, what kind of bodies do we have when we die? She wanted to ask him questions like that. I told her, I said, I'm a pastor. Why don't you have to bring in Skip? <laughs> she said, I want somebody who can answer my questions. All right, fine. It was a great time there, but it was at that day that she, she told me, she looked at me and she said, God's not gonna heal me. And she goes, so, so what do we do now? And so we began to talk about moving forward if God wasn't going to heal her. We took her home and there was a, there was a sense of joy. There was a picture of heaven the last women's conference Lisa did was on faith and going to heaven. Remember, there was, there's an artist in our church who drew a little picture of faith, or a little, you know, cut out of faith, put her up in front of going to heaven, put a veil in front of it because we don't see heaven clearly. And they had a little mock-up made of the backdrop for the, for the retreat last year, and she had that by her bed. And I'm telling you, as, as the last couple days came along, she literally turned towards heaven. 
I have no idea what was going on physically to make her turn that way, but she literally turned towards that picture of heaven. And she, she, she looked at it and she saw it. And I had experienced this presence, this atmosphere before because I've gone to the deathbed of Christians. I've gone to the last and visited many Christians in the last days of their lives. And I've seen this atmosphere. Louis Noriega was a U.S. Marshal that attended our church. And he got cancer, lung cancer as well. And I went to see him while he was on his deathbed. He was out on his couch, but it was as innocent as his deathbed. And uh, there was that presence there. So much so that when I stood in front of his colleagues, other men in, in, that were U.S. Marshals and all kinds of police officers were there. And I said, I watched Louis face death with an incredible amount of courage. And if he, if he was half as courageous on the streets as a police officer as he was in facing death, then you guys really lost somebody. Lisa had that same kind of courage. And here recently, Tim Llewellyn went to be with the Lord. And I went to go see Tim. And there was that same joy that same atmosphere. I'm not calling it a presence. It was an atmosphere, uh, a, a kind of peace and a kind of joy for, for people that have so much to live for, but they're going to be with the Lord and God is, is there in their presence. And if Lisa could do that and face that, if Tim, if Louis can face those things in the midst of the ultimate test because what's the greater test for you? That, that everything is, is taken from you. Then certainly we can face the tests that we go through and we can face them and make it through to the end. God tests us for a reason. It, it says in verse uh, two, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Again, stumble, you fall, suddenly you're there. You didn't think you were gonna be there, but then you find yourself there. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Though I don't like the word patient here. The word endurance is better. Patient reminds me of that God's taking me through trials so that I can handle traffic more, you know, better. So when I'm in traffic, I don't get as upset. I'm patient now because I've been through trials. The word is endurance. God wants you to endure to the end. Why is God taking you through trials? Because he's doing something inside of you that you can make it all the way to the end. Because there are people when they face trials that don't make it to the end. There are people that face trials and say, if God will do this to me, that I'm not following God. They turn away from him. And this whole text from two to 12 is all about trials. And when you look down at verse 12, it says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. The word temptation there is the same word as trials in verse two. Blessed is the man who endures trials for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Trials then are the way by which we find the endurance to reveal the love of God that we have in us. Why, why do we go through trials? According to James chapter one, because God is working in you that you would have endurance that the love of God would be revealed. If you can face a trial like my wife faced and still love God, that reveals that she was deeply in love with God. It wasn't a shallow love. It wasn't a false love. It was a very real love that she had for God, that God could take everything away from, him, from her. And she, like Job, would say, even if you kill me, I'll serve you. 
I'll follow you and I'll give you everything. And that's the testing of trials that we go through. God takes us through trials that we would be proven. That's what the word temptation here means or the word trials means to prove our faith is being proved that you show that you love God. If you're a Christian and you don't have a deep and profound love for God, then don't you want to know that? So if you've gone through a trial and you've walked away from God, the proving of your faith, the testing of your faith was that it wasn't deep and it wasn't profound. And now you've got to come back. You know, all of us know someone who's gone through a trial and walked away from God. If God will do that to me, then I'm not following him. If this is what God's about, then I'm not following him. And if that's been you in the past, then you need to come back now. It's, it's a revelation that your love for God wasn't enough. You need to have a new, deep, profound love for him. He goes on to say then in verse four, but let patience have its perfect work. See, God's doing a work in the endurance. The testing is producing endurance and endurance is having its perfect work that you may be perfect. And again, that word means mature. God's trying to bring you to maturity. God doesn't want you to be a baby Christian. God didn't save you that he could wrap you up in a blanket and hold you safe away from the world and give you a little Christian bottle and rock you in his arms and, and have you hide out until the end. God saved you to do a work. God saved us so that we would go out into the world and make a difference for those who are perishing. Preach the gospel to every creature, Mark tells us. I love that word it uses, creature. It means animal. It means creature. It means, you know, preach the gospel to your dog. I don't know whether it'll go to heaven or not, but it gives you a good opportunity. We have been given the call to go into all nations and to make disciples and teach them and baptize them. That's the call we have. And the Bible tells us that we, like good soldiers, shouldn't be entangled in the things of this world. And some of us as Christians, we have this great call, but we're entangled in the things of the world. So much so that we're not doing the work that we're supposed to do. The Bible says that when someone's competing, they train in such a way to win. Are you training to win? Knowing that God's called you to stand as light as salt? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. And he said, if salt loses its savoriness, it is good for nothing but to be tossed into the street and trampled underfoot. If you guys aren't shining for Jesus, if you aren't making a difference for him, then you may be living your life, but your life is pretty much just worth being thrown out into the street and trampled underfoot. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't count for anything. We want to have that savoriness, that saltiness for Christ. We want to make sure that our lives matter in the midst of this. And so God wants to bring you to maturity. And so if you're out there and you're kind of messing around with the things of the world, you're messing around with this, you're messing around with alcohol and you're messing around with sex and you're just doing these things and you're not really serious, God is saying, look, I need to bring you to maturity because lives are in the balance because people are perishing and he's called us to make a difference. And I believe that a life, a serious life lived for him makes a radical difference for Jesus. And, and you think God doesn't really want to use me. You think I, God can't use me. I'm not, a, I'm not a preacher, but you're supposed to live out loud. When you live for Christ, there's something happening in the spiritual realm. You have the glory of God in you. You've got the Holy Spirit that gushes out of you. And you make a difference everywhere that you go. And opportunities will open up if you are living your life for Jesus and your life will be used for him. So he says he wants you to be perfect, mature, complete, lacking in nothing. When you go through, through trials and you endure, you find yourself lacking in nothing. There's nothing that this world has that you need. 
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.